attitude of mind shows up in my recent novel, A Scanner Darkly, where uh, a narcotics agent winds up reporting on himself, turning over information on himself to, to his higher-ups. The uh, paranoia of the Nixon period was so uh, by the government and also by the counterculture, the Berkeley people. Anybody like me who grew up and, and, and was part of the Berkeley counterculture became a marked man during the Nixon administration. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not a Bomb Podcast. Brad, we're—I just realized we're. This is episode ninety-two. Ninety-two. We are eight away from one hundred. Uh, Some people call that the century mark. Yeah, I man, our little COVID project has <laughs> is still going, which yeah, is weird. Yeah, so to is me. COVID. So you know, it's well, part is it? Parcel. I mean, yeah. it feels like everybody just forgot about it lately. Yeah. Uh, no, we, hey. Good, good to talk to you again. It's been a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, you've been busy at work, so you haven't been able to talk to me as much during the day. I feel slighted. I know it, it has been crazy, and uh, we we actually got off of our routine too because we were doing that little side project to Cowboy Bebop. But you you want to do some house cleaning because we we've actually been doing some stuff behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. So we wrapped up. We recorded the last episode of Cowboy Bebop, so we did all the television, the animated television run, all 26 sessions. You can go back and listen to myself, you, and Sammy from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema talk about that. And on the last episode, we had an additional guest, Zoe from the Backlook Cinema podcast, came on, talked to us about the last episode, essentially, and then the series itself. And uh, it was fun. Uh, it was a little bittersweet to 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 end that and to talk about that show coming to an end. And yeah, we are going to take a little break, do the movie at some point in time, take a little break, do the Netflix series. But to be honest, man, recording during the week is is very difficult. Yeah, um, I've I'm telling you, just to sit down and watch a film, read about a film, do research. Uh, and then record the podcast. It does feel like a part-time job. Then throw in, I don't know, another TV series and and recording. That's that's yeah. our week right there, man. Yeah. And so with that, we have decided to move our release date of the normal podcast to Tuesday to Wednesday. Um, usually we record on Sundays, and our turnaround is two days, uh, which is pretty quick. You re- edit and all that stuff. And I get the posts ready, you know, all this stuff in the background. Um, you know, we were kind of rushing to do that every week. And I was like, it doesn't matter. Why don't we just release on Wednesday and call it a day? So, um, and for some reason, uh, we get way more downloads on Wednesday than Tuesday. Uh, I guess I, I don't know why, but the, the downloads were much higher when we released on Wednesday. So I was like, let's just do that. So that's all the robots. The robots like our episode on Wednesdays versus Tuesdays. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
Um, so yeah, that's our housekeeping. Um, like we said up top, our episode 100 is coming up. So if you have any sort of questions you want us to answer specifically on that episode, start getting them in. Um, not a bomb pod at gmail.com or you can go to not a bomb podcast.com hit the contact us button and leave us um, a question. Just put, you know, hundredth episode, whatever in the subject line, and we will talk about it then. Cool. Yeah. It's going to be a big one. We're, we're not just a little preview. We've already decided what we're doing. We'll probably tell everybody a couple of weeks in advance. Cause if you're going to play along uh, you're going to have to do some homework, but we, we won't just be reviewing one bomb that week. Uh, we've got a theme and we're going to review a few movies maybe. So yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited. Yep. Well, tonight, uh, so this is an even number. It was my pick. And what we've been trying to do is go back through some of the listener feedback. And this one came in. I think it was from Ben. Is that uh-huh. right? A few times. A, a few, few times. times. Yeah, we finally got to it. Uh, hey, Nathan, death to smoochies around the corner. So that one's coming. Don't you, worry. I texted back. I told him it okay. was like in the 120s to, you know, yeah. it's coming. It's around the corner. Uh, but this one, a scanner darkly from 2006, uh, we, we had to push it up. I don't know about you. I'm a, a huge fan of Philip K. Dick, the author, which this film is based off of. And, you know, he's, he's come up in a lot of our discussions. Cause when we talk about sci-fi and we talk about Blade Runner and, and, you know, some of the mo- more iconic films, Total Recall, they are all coming from <laughs> the adjustment bureau. Remember that movie? I, I do remember that, yeah. that everyone remembers, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think everybody realizes how much of an influence that Philip K. Dick is on not just science fiction literature, but science fiction cinema in general, like minority report, etc. Yeah. This one's been interesting because as much of a fan, I am of that author. And I try to go out and see, as many of the films that are based on the source material, I've I bought this on Blu-ray. It's been sitting there for years, but for whatever reason, I have just never really wanted to sit down and watch it. And I know the source material or the book that it's based off of, and we'll talk a little bit of history about that. But I, I don't know. There was always something that was keeping me away from this one. I, I've wanted to see it, but I just have never seen it. So this is a first time watch for me. How about you? No, I watched it when it's, I did not see it in the theaters, but when I was getting DVDs or maybe Blu-rays at the time from Netflix in the mail, um, I had this one in my queue and remember it showing up one week and I just kind of put it in. I remember seeing the preview and obviously it has a look um, and that's specifically why I put it in there and I knew it was Philip K. Dick. So uh, added it to the queue, got it, watched it, and I can tell you that 2007 2006 brad definitely was not ready for this movie so uh (laughs) i definitely didn't quote unquote get it at the time um so that's that so i i watched it but i don't know if i really watched it if you know what i mean well let's see if either of us got it this time and and let's jump right into it, right? So I'm, I, I like these shows when it's just you and me. I mean, I love all our guests and and sort of the energy everybody brings. But for this type of film, it it it's going to be interesting to have a dialogue just with you because I got, I got to be honest. Usually, I watch a film and I'll know just as long as we've known each other. Like, oh, this this is not going to go well with Brad, or you're going to love this one. There are very few films I just 
don't know where you're going to land on it. I would put this one in that category. Like I'm so interested to know your thoughts and where you land on whether or not you like this film or what you got out of it. So I'm, I'm just excited to get into it. So well, in full disclosure, sci-fi is my favorite genre of film. It is. And for whatever reason, I can't peg the type of sci-fi that you like. So some things that I think you're just going to go nuts over, you'll come back and go, meh, it was all right. Yeah. And then other stuff that I think really isn't all that you rave about. So I, I, I don't know, dude, I can't figure it out. I can't figure you out at all. I'm a tough nut. You are. So let, let's get into this one. You start with the numbers and how this thing performed. Neither of us saw it theatrically. Uh, I just watched it for the first time a few days ago. So obviously you saw it um, back in 2006, 2007. But when this thing you know, visited the theaters, how did it do? Yeah, so we were looking at a release date of July 7th, 2006, uh, which was, God, 16 years ago. Jesus, this movie can now drive. <laughs> uh, if you want to know something scary. Um, yeah, uh, right around 4th of July. Nothing says Independence Day like a scanner darkly. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, so original budget was about $6.7 million. They had to increase that to 8.2, which we will get into a little bit later. Um, its box office run total was $7.6 million. So it failed to uh, recoup its production budget. That breakdown is 5.5 domestically and 2.1 internationally. Uh, the opening weekend, uh, not kind to a scanner darkly. Um, it made nine or I'm sorry, 391 K. Wow. K. Was uh, it a limited it theatrical was, release? It was limited. It okay. was limited to 17 screens. So it made 23 K per screen, which is actually really, really good. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's good enough for 19th place. Uh, you know, we're in the summer, so, you know, things are making hundreds of millions of dollars in a weekend. Movies like. Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men's Chess, which opened that weekend, and it made $135 million opening weekend. Wow. Uh, Batman Returns, Devil Wears Prada, Click, and Cars were your top five of that weekend. So a lot of, uh, a lot of big hitters there. Um, interesting notes. The critics have this at a 68%, and the audience a little bit higher at a 74%. Wow. Okay. The audience score surprises me. I was very surprised by the audience score because there's a lot of talking in this movie. Well, uh, it's I an, could, it's, it's distributed by Warner independent. So it's an independent uh -huh. film. Yep. Uh, it's a smaller budget. And I think Richard Linklater, the director specifically did not want to spend a lot of money because he wanted total creative control over this thing. Yes. Yes. He, the, and the, the look of this movie is, something that um, we'll get into it. Um, okay. But the only review that we care about around here now, Troy oh. is the movie guide review. Yes. Uh, the, I, I love these, man. These are and fantastic. If you're not familiar with movie guide, it is a Christian website that uh, reviews movie for its subjective content. And the scanner darkly comes in in a negative three, Still don't know what the scale is. Uh, our lowest, I believe, was uh, my boss's daughter at a negative four. Is that we the one Predator that the no Predator 2 they didn't even finish, right? 
No, tr- uh, True Romance, the guy walked oh, out. Oh, True Romance, they walked minutes. out of yeah. it. That's right. I yeah. think he got to the beating scene and then he walked out. He's out. Okay. Um, so here, <clears throat> here we go. Uh, mixed pagan worldview with some positive Christian elements and biblical allusions portrayed in an allegorical dark mixed uh, antinomial fashion, which I had to look up what antinomial is. That is a uh, one who rejects society established morality. So I didn't know what that was. Um, anyway, uh, go I'm back. not going to be using that word in my daily vocabulary. No, no, as you shouldn't. Uh, that may have come across as a bit new age. Ooh, a bit. A, okay. A bit new age. Uh, plus a strong, but often applied moral statement against uh, hallucinatory drugs, a negative and critical view of America and government surveillance. Okay. Hold on a second. So <laughs> it, that one comment, uh, it's critical of drug use. Shouldn't, shouldn't that be a good thing for this website, for this review? It said moral statement against so that's good, so right? It's saying, yeah, it okay. says the good things and bad things. Okay. Um, a negative and critical view of American government surveillance and more or one references to homosexuality, at least 76 obscenities, six strong profanities, mm-hmm. and three light profanities. Light profanities is probably like damn or hell. Well, for this website, it could be darn it. <laughs> or, yeah. Golly or shucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fiddlesticks. Fiddlesticks. fiddlesticks is on there. Oh, fudge. Uh, uh, okay. One very strong but brief violent scene. Creepy, creepy scene where Stone Man thinks he's crawling with bugs and character seriously contemplating uh, committing suicide. Same character. Mm-hmm. Um, depicted fornication in at least one scene. Some crude sexual comments. Implied sex. A reference or two to homosexuality. They do not homosexuality they mentioned that twice i feel like that they really look down on that apparently uh upper here you go listen to this upper male nudity or upper female nudity in several places plus upper male nudity in several scenes oh boy so is that just guys with no shirt on yeah upper male nudity that probably dragged it down to like a negative point upper male nudity yeah you can't have upper male nudity nope i don't think a men with shirts off is considered male nudity but okay no it Uh, is is the guy nude yes upper male nudity okay it's it's, whatever you think of that it's very accurate so yes kudos for that uh alcohol use many often uh continual drug reference oh yeah but Place with a message that is ultimately anti-drug and stealing, lying, deceit, and manipulation in a dark story that's not resolved happily. <laughs> uh, really? Spoiler alert. Okay. <laughs> I Okay. Okay. Um, this is what you need to do for next week. I'm really confused, this rating system. Every film that we have talked about and referenced this website, it's always in the negatives, which in my head I'm thinking – so far, I'd probably filter by the negative scores and go watch yeah. those films. Yeah, I want to find the lowest score. Okay, true. And I also want to know what a zero is. So what film gets a zero, if you can find that. And maybe, maybe okay. we could you know, do, I don't know, a comparison. And maybe something with a plus one. I, I don't know how if it goes plus one. Oh, I'm one. sure like that American underdog movie, that Kurt Warner biopic. I'm sure, because it's a Christian movie. What about the underdog was- cartoon? 
Ooh, I don't know. Yeah, I think you should look up American Underdog and then the Underdog I, I cartoon. Bet God's Not Dead is like a plus 1,000 on this. You don't know? I uh, don't okay. know. We'll, if it has we'll a see. golly shucks in there, that probably yeah. drove its score down. Yeah. If there's like any sort of side boob, like, no, thank you. No um, way. <laughs> so films you could see July of 06, the aforementioned uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Let's see, nothing there really of note. Brave Story, Changing Lanes, Little Man. So if I were to give you a guess on how much money a little man made from 2006, what would your guess be? Little Man. Was that the yeah. Wayans? Yeah, Wayans Brothers movies. Oh, uh, I, I think I've seen that. Okay. I it have... made $134 million. Shut the okay. front door. Yeah, 134 million. Okay, hold on. This is the movie where they have a baby looking Wayans. Or no, he's he's a small person dressed up as a baby. I'm not sure. This is from the same duo that brought us white chicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They also brought us Little Man. And and I remember like buying Little Little Man used for like two dollars because I just had to see it because I couldn't yep. believe that they made a movie like that. 103 million. 134 million. 134 million. Holy yeah. cow. Uh, me, you, and Dupree, a film called Roadhouse 2 Last Call. Yes. Only on film, only on video, but I have to see that. I own it. Because the cover art it's fantastic. Looks amazing. It looks like a porn parody. Well, it's uh, not, but it's uh, got a lot of face kicking, dude. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Clerks 2, Lady in the Water, Monster House, My Super Ex Girlfriend, Little Miss Sunshine. The Ant Bully, oh, John uh, Tucker Must Die, Miami Vice, and Scoop. Huh. Loaded month. I tell you what, there's a lot of bombs in that month. Yeah. I got, yeah. A, I got a feeling there's some movies there that we might come across in our uh, future, later yes. down. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Wow. That, that's a jam-packed month. I wonder why they thought- $134 million. I, I know. <laughs> Little man. I wonder what their line of thinking was uh, to release this in July against those films. Because usually you can see, oh, we're going to release this film. It's going to be counter-programming to what's in the theaters, et cetera. This one just seems like it got dumped. Well, according to my notes, it was delayed because of six months. Yes. To, because of they couldn't figure out how to do the rotoscoping stuff. Right. But still, you, you would think they would yeah. pick... I don't know, something, some other month than July. July just yeah. seems like a terrible release. I feel like this thing was destined to fail right out of the door in terms of when they released it. Yes. Even within like the six and a half million dollar budget is easier to swallow than the eight and a half. Um, so, you know, when you add two million for, I guess, to do post production again, uh, it makes it difficult to make your money back on this one. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, hey, this gives us a chance to talk about Richard Linklater. He kind of came up a little bit last week um, when we talked about true romance and specifically boyhood because we were talking about Patricia Arquette. Yep. I'm not a big Patricia Arquette fan. She won an Academy Award for boyhood. I honestly haven't seen boyhood. It's, it. The thing about Richard Linklater is even when I look at his filmography, I'm amazed at how many I've seen, but I'm also conversely amazed at how many I haven't seen. So out of his entire biography, 
uh, or excuse me, filmography, would you say 2003's School of Rock, would that be his most financially successful or the one that maybe most people have seen? Most people would know that one. His remake of Bad News Bears made quite a bit of money too, I believe. Um, but yeah, you're probably right. Maybe Days and Confused. Our, my generation is probably Days and Confused. The next generation is probably School of Rock. Yeah, and, and Days and Confused is one that I think got a lot, I don't know, of traction once it hit home media. And yeah, the soundtrack in the in oh. like home video. Like I every time I went over to a friend's house, it was like, Hey, do you want to watch Days and Confused or Pulp Fiction yeah. or Reservoir Dogs? And, was, and I remember seeing Days and Confused uh in the theaters and it made me want to go back and um find Slacker from nineteen ninety. I mean, he's, he started with his first short in 85 called Woodshock, and I believe his first film was It's Impossible to Learn to Plow by Reading Books uh, from 1988. Now, he's a uh, filmmaker from Texas, I think Austin, Texas. Uh, he's got he's got a really interesting filmography because after Days and Confused, he did Before Sunrise in 95, and I remember seeing that in the theater, Yeah, but I've never seen the sequels. I haven't really? seen- Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And and I thought before sunrise was was quite good. I, I got to tell you, I don't know if you have a favorite out of his entire filmography. Probably my favorite film that I had seen of his was 2011's Bernie with Jack Black. Yes, I absolutely love that's a love very that good movie. Very good movie. Um, I'm a big Orson Welles guy. I didn't love his me and Orson Welles movie, to be honest with you. Um, and I've heard really really good things about that Apollo Ten and a Half. Oh, which okay. is, I think, playing at South by. Okay. Yeah, he's he's interesting. Like School of Rock, I haven't seen. Um, what? I, I own it. You haven't seen School of Rock? It's just, man, that trailer, there is something about that trailer that just rubbed me the wrong way. Now, oh my gosh. I it, own it, it, but I I don't know. I just look at it and I go, it, I, I don't think I would enjoy this one. I think you would. It, it, the Jack Black performance is very good. It's a very good family comedy that it, but it's smart. It's really good, man. It's really, really good. Did you see Everybody Wants Some from 2016? Because a lot of people kind of compared that to uh, Dazed and Confused. I did see Everybody Wants Some, and it is very much trying to recreate Dazed and Confused. Um, is it successful? Like, but with the 80s. It's oh, with okay. the 80s as opposed to, I believe, the 70s. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not, as, not as big on that one. Well, as much... As he's known as a director, um, Linklater is also known as um, an author. So he writes a lot of screenplays for the movies he directs. And this film was based on uh, A Scanner Darkly by Philip K. Dick, and he wrote the screenplay to it. I kind of want to get to the cast and and to the production. Um, We'll talk about Rotoscope here in a minute. But let's talk about the people in front of the screen. So we start with Keanu Reeves, and, and we've talked ad nauseum about Keanu when we talked about his uh, samurai film, right? Oh, 47 Ronin. Yes. 47 Ronin. So in this film, his primary character is Bob Arctor. And about this time, if you, if you think of 2006, so he did matrix revolution in 2003, Constantine in 2005, a scanner darkly in 2006, the same year he also had the lake house. And then he follows that up with street Kings in 2008. Yeah. He went, I think they were afraid he wasn't going to accept this um, acting role because he was just coming off of the matrix coming off of Constantine, a lot of sci-fi. And they're like, is he going to want to do another one? 
because we want him to do this role, but they were afraid that uh, all that sci-fi in a row form wouldn't uh, wouldn't work out. But you yeah, because if you think about it, he, he was probably filming this about 2004, 2005, because yeah, it was the, 18 months. Yeah. Post-production was, yeah, 18 months. Yep. So we also get him paired with Winona Ryder as Donna Hawthorne. So they've worked together a couple of times. I think Bram Stoker's Dracula in 92 was the first movie they worked on. They did this one, Private Lives of, is it Pippa Lee in 2009? I think so, yep. And most recently, Destination Wedding 2018. So they're they're close friends. They're very good friends. Uh, I, I don't know. I, Winona Ryder, her first film, Lucas in 86, I remember in that. I think I can't ever get past Beetlejuice from 88 and Heathers from 88. Like yes. to me, that's where she peaked and everything else that's come after that. I'm, I'm always thinking, ah, oh, man, I'm going to go back and watch Beetlejuice or Heathers because <laughs> she's so good in those. Yeah. She's also good in Edward Scissorhands. She is. She's a good actress, but I, I don't know if you find some actors or actresses the, the minute you see them in a role and they're so good in that you, you're just always comparing everything they do after that to those two roles. Well, yeah, I, I hated walking Phoenix for the longest time because he was in gladiator. And I was like, I, I can't look at this guy and not think of gladiator. Yeah. So, yes. But I, I mean, she's, she's a great actress. I, I actually like her work, but it, in the back of my head, I'm always, every time I see her, I'm like, yeah, I think it's time for a rewatch of. Heathers. Isn't it weird that she got sidelined because she was like, a kleptomaniac there for a little while. Like she stole things and people were literally losing their minds because she was stealing things. I was like, it, it is weird. I mean, she obviously <laughs> has a uh, condition. It's not like she had to steal anything and she a, probably just needed some excitement in her life. Like, yeah, I think so. I don't know. And that Whatever. those whole events came about in 2002. I think it was early 2000. Yeah, it was early 2000. We were very in love with tabloid, putting people on the front of magazines, sell magazines. Yeah. Look at Britney Spears shaving her head. Look at Winona Ryder stealing things. Aren't these women crazy? <laughs> yeah. Well, the cast even gets crazier. So now we've got Robert Downey Jr. as James Barris. Now pre Iron Man, pre Iron Man by a couple of years, Iron Man was 2008. So about this time period, he was doing a guide to recognizing your saints 2006, which is a great film. Uh, the shaggy dog in 2006, a scanner darkly in 2006. Well, kiss, kiss, bang, bang was the year before this. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. With Shane so, black, yeah. which yeah. we'll talk about that one at some point. 2006 was a pretty good uh, year for him in terms of work because he had like four or five movies coming out. We also get Rory Cochran as Charles Freck. Uh, he's one of those character actors. You'll know him when you see him. I do remember him as Slater in Dazed and Confused. Mm-hmm. Um, when he pops up, he's he's very noticeable, but you know, he's he's just he's a good, solid character actor performer. Yeah, he was Lee in Argo. Yes, um, that's right. Another very good movie. Yep. Yep. And then we also get Woody Harrelson as Ernie Luckman. And I, I gotta say this Woody Harrelson constantly surprised me. I think we're going to go back at some point and realize just how good of an actor is. Because if I'm, if I look at his filmography, I always gravitate to two things to just kind of demonstrate his range. The first one is 1996's Kingpin. I think he is oh yes. so good in that film. Uh, and then if you look at that performance and compare it to the miniseries True Detective, which I think came out in 2014, the first season of True Detective is perfect television. It, it really is. And you would be, I, I don't know, it, Woody Harrelson. I don't, 
I don't know how he delivers those two performances. I mean, one I think is comedic genius with sort of this heart that you don't expect in Kingpin. And then you get true detective and it's just haunting and there's so much depth there. And I, I'm just such a big fan of Woody Harrelson. He's one of those actors that as time goes on and you just kind of take a step back and look at his filmography and you're going, holy cow, this guy delivers. Do you want to know his uh, relation to us locally here? Oh yeah, absolutely. He is a graduate of Hanover college. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, we've talked to, we've talked about Woody before when we talked about solo star Wars story 2018. Yes. Yes, yeah. we did. And I, yep. I think he was one of the best things about that too. I loved him as Beckett. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> this is funny. The, uh, and, and I think it's topical for the movie, but I was looking through the cast list and this one name popped out and I'm like, are you kidding me? He's in this film. It was, uh, Alex Jones as the street prophet. So subsidies turn the frogs gay. <laughs> yeah. So for, for those who don't know, Alex Jones, he is a radio show host and prominent that, conspiracy that's, theorist. That's insulting to radio. Hosts. Yeah. Well, that's, that's where he got, I, you know, some notoriety, yeah. but he's out of Austin, Texas. He is the guy that has made several claims about governments and big business colluding over the new world order and trails. Yes. And, uh, manufactured economic crises and sophisticated tech surveillance and inside job terror attacks that fuel hysteria in the U S and he's a Trump supporter and he still believes the election was stolen. Um, apparently he's a terrible father. Yes. (laughs) But, uh, he is one of those guys that when you see his name pop up in the news, you, you think right wing conspiracy nut, he fits the bill. Yep. I mean, he's the poster child for it, right? Oh, yes. Yep. Catch him in bed with a goblin. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines of his. I, I hate to give him any sort of recognition, but, you know. Yeah, it was just, it the, was. The day his heart explodes, we'll all breathe a little bit, a sigh of relief. It's it's going to happen. Uh, it was just weird because I, I remember seeing him in the film and I'm like, I, I think I know that guy. And then when I'm going through, you know, who's in the film, I'm like, that was Alex Jones. Yeah. In 2006, it was quaint. In 2022, it's. My eyes rolled back and I didn't know if they were ever going to come back to the their neutral position. <laughs> well, let, let's talk a little bit about production and development. So Richard Linklater originally wanted to adapt Philip K. Dick's novel Ubik uh, into a film. So Ubik, have, have you read that one? I have. It's the uh, kind of the, they have psychic powers and there's corporate, corporate espionage. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and they freeze people. Yes, Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. you don't know if something's happening, you know, in his head uh, or if it's yeah, real. Yeah. 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 Uh, but he, he had problems trying to adapt that it's, it's a really dense and complex novel. And according to him, he just, he couldn't crack it. So eventually he settled on a scanner darkly and specifically worked with the Philip K. Dick Institute or like the estate, uh, to kind of bring that project to life. And the daughters, Philip K. Dick's daughters, at this point, because they had seen what was happening with, you know, their father's work in Hollywood, they were much more involved in approving certain projects. And I don't think that they were a fan of turning this novel into an animated film. And so it took a lot of persuasion from Linklater to kind of sit down and say, I want to stay as close as possible to the source material, but in order to do this correctly, 
you know, he's explaining the animation technique and, and yeah, he wants else. to make it like a lucid dream in a way. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And, and this it, was one of Philip K. Dick's most personal stories too. So do you know the background on this one? Yeah. I mean, it's literally about him taking drugs and his sort of hallucinations and psychosis into doing drugs. Yep. It's in about the sixties. Uh, 1970. It was like 1970 okay. to 72. Yeah. So it's his experiences in the drug culture. Uh, and, and he's said on record, everything in a scanner darkly that he wrote, he actually saw. So either saw oh. through, you know, tripping <laughs> or uh, the conversations and the experiences and everything else he actually experienced. Yeah. So yeah, yeah um, he, his fourth wife left him. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was married a bunch. And he's left. And he with, was writing all the time, so he probably wasn't a good husband. No, no, no. He he had a little bit of a drug problem even before the seventies uh, hit. Yes. Uh, but yeah, his his fourth wife at that time had left him, and also left him with the house. And so what happened was he lived with a bunch of mostly teenage drug users at his home. So you know people are coming in and out of his home, stay with him for a little bit, and then they move on. So during this period, so from like seventy to seventy two. Um, Philip just stopped writing altogether and became fully dependent on amphetamines. And he had been using amphetamines off and on throughout the years because that's how he was able to crank out so much material is, you know, if he were hitting a lull, he'd take an amphetamine and boom, here comes like 68 yep. pages in you know, a matter of minutes. Well, and it's also key at this point in time, Richard Nixon is in office. Um, yes. The distrust and the government is pretty much at an all time high. 2022 laughs in the face of that, but you know, it was, it was quaint back then. Um, Watergate's just around the corner, um, you know, the drug culture of the sixties, all kind of culminating into this story by Philip K. Dick. Yes. And I'll, you know, it's funny you, you point that out. What was going on when he wrote this book was probably very similar to what was going on right now in 2022. Cause if you think about, um, <laughs> the distrust of the of the government, uh, war, <laughs> the crazy presidents you yeah. know we've had, uh, drug proliferation. Yes, uh, it's all there, right? Yes, yes. And so what also happened is he ended up going into a Canadian rehab center. So after a couple of years, and this actually that experience gave him the idea that to use a story thread that happens to be in the film as well which is, hey, what if rehab centers were actually being used to secretly harvest drugs? Or, you know, the drug company that was uh, trying to cure everybody was actually the drug company that was putting on the streets. So the whole conspiracy thing, right? Principal photography on the film was only six weeks, but there was an 18-month animation process. So it was originally supposed to take six months. And they couldn't get it three times as long. That's insane. Yeah. That's, so it would take 18 months. Yeah. It went from six months to 18 months because the animators kept falling behind. And you've kind of mentioned this already. That's where the budget went from 6.7 million to 8.7 million, which uh, was just adding that extra year to get the animation right. Yeah. And Linklater wasn't happy with the production company. They were basically untrained to yes. do the sort of technique. Uh, it didn't look well, different kind of pockets of animators were doing it differently. So this group of people would do a section and then 
They look completely different than somebody else's. Um, it took them forever even to put a trailer together. Um, it it sounds hellacious, to be honest with you. Did you ever see the trailer to this? Because I had only seen the movie poster, and I, I got to thinking about this the other night when I was watching the Blu-ray. I had never seen a trailer. I never it. saw the trailer. I never saw the trailer. Okay. Um, I guess, should we talk about the Roto Shop? Are yeah, let's talk, about that? let's talk about that. So the film was shot digitally and then animated using um, rotoscope technique. So, uh, interpolated, uh, I'm not even saying that right. Inter interpolated, interpolated. Okay. Yeah. Interpolated. So it's roto roto shop is the proprietary editing program. I think is what it was called. Okay. You know, it's, it's rotoscope. It's route batchy. It's all that stuff. Yeah. So rotoscope for just anybody who's not familiar with it, basically what happens is you film something and then you're kind of projecting it on your glass or or your 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 drawing table and animators would trace over the original footage frame by frame now today yeah, it's done get, by computers yeah and like snow white is animated that way uh, a lot of the dance stuff in early disney films because it's hard to do that so you what you would do is film somebody doing it animate it over top of it and it looks like it's you know real uh, to the point where it's better than me coming up with, you know, 24 frames a second to, to have this guy dance. I can use it as a reference and basically kind of copy it over. Are, um, are you a fan of that technique? So I have a complicated relationship with like Ralph Bakshi and stuff like that. Cause I like the look. It's well, unique, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, it, and it, it always has this, weird sort of effect on the mind because it's moving like a person but it's not a person and it it's jarring in that way um i like the technique i don't know if my mind enjoys seeing it you know like it takes just, me a, a while to get accustomed yeah. to it like the it and even this go around it takes me about 10 or 15 minutes for my brain to process it's an animated film because even uh, if <laughs> a great example is if you're if you're watching this film and you're just a little bit tired and you feel your eyes going down a little bit and you start to get that glossed over, you would think you were watching a real person because that's the animation style, right? It, yeah, it is yeah. filmed, but it's somebody drawing over it. And so if you were to just look out the corner of your eye, if you were to get that sort of glossed over look or try and you know kind of squint and almost close your eyes, you could mistake some frames for actual non-animated sequences. Yeah. Like I've tried to watch that Lord of the Rings, that fellowship of the rings that Bakshi did. Yeah. Um, probably 50 times and I can get like halfway through it. And I'm like, eh, just something about the way it looks just doesn't vibe with me. Um, and I think a lot of people bring him up uh, because he did like American pop wizards, the Lord of the Rings, but this fire, fire and ice is another one. Yes. Uh, rotoscope is used <laughs> cool in world. Did he direct cool world? Yeah. I think he did some sequences uh, for cool yeah. world. Um, yellow submarine, the Beatles. I know you're a big Beatles fan. That was mm -hmm. rotoscope. Um, an American tale from 86. So the human characters in that were rotoscoped. Okay. Uh, rotoscopes also used in title sequences. I thought this was pretty interesting. So if you remember the opening title sequence for the good, the bad and the ugly, they used rotoscope for that technique. Okay. And most recently, so if you see it in an animated style, like something that Ralph Bakshi does, um, it, it you will either like it or you won't. But I, I think people 
don't realize when it's happening kind of right in front of them. Well, they also rotoscope like the new Lord of the Rings. Andy Serkis is rotoscoped in that whole. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy, Rocket Raccoon was created by rotoscoping Oreo, a tame raccoon. Yeah. So it's it's just a it's a difference of you're filming something live and then you're either putting a digital representation on top of it or you're doing the animation style to it. They paint that raccoon green to green screen it out. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, okay. it's, it's just, it's, it's something that I think is used a lot more often than people realize. And it is a little bit different than just putting a bunch of ping pong balls in a green screen or wearing a green suit. Rotoscoping really is the, um, it's the technique of taking the film frame and then basically painting or drawing on top of it, either yeah, through a computer or something yeah. else. So it's a, it's a lot different than just a green screen effect. So it, I would, uh, I, I mean, this is not Linklater's first rotoscope film because he also did Waking Life in 2001. Have you seen that one? I have not seen that. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. I'm, I think that might be his only film I maybe haven't seen. Oh, really? Yeah, I've, I looked at his filmography and I, I got to get busy, man. There are so many movies I got to catch up on. Okay. I can't believe you haven't seen School of Rock, man. That's shocking to me. I, I don't. I don't know. There's some trailers that I watch it and I don't laugh or it just doesn't look interesting or it looks very pedestrian and everybody will tell me you got to see it. And so I mm -hmm. bought it, but it man, it's been sitting there. I mean, I own it on DVD. That's how long it's been sitting there. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, okay. I'm so, so interested in knowing what you think about this film. So Brad, uh, I, the first thing I want to do, cause I think, well, let me just put my cards out there. I don't think this is a film you can just recommend to anybody. Would you agree? Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. No, it's, uh, there is a lot of plot going on hidden behind a bunch of just people talking and talking and talking, uh, and I, I will be honest with you. I had to watch the second half of this movie again to kind of figure out some of the things that happened. I did not catch it the first time. I don't know if I was just not paying enough attention or what I, you know, I didn't have my phone or anything like that, but I, I had to really concentrate a second time to really put all the pieces together. And I hope I'm right because I'm going to sound like an absolute moron if I didn't get it right on some of the twists and how things play out. Um, but you know, you're right. This thing is, uh, not just science fiction. It's heavy science fiction. It's also super dark. It's also characters are named more than one thing. Um, there is a lot of, I mean, the opening sequence of the movie is a guy who is hallucinating that there's bugs all over him. And it, you know, that's a five minute sequence of him taking a shower, taking a shower with his dog. Um, him trying to put bugs in a jar. It's it's. And, and at that point you don't know he's hallucinating. Like that's how yeah. the movie opens. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, there's a, there's an extended scene with a bike and it's probably the funniest scene in the film because it's all, it's like the scene in the, in the film that represents you're the sober person in a room 
with a bunch of people who are on drugs and you're trying to be like, no guys, it's just a bike. What are we going to do? And they're like, no, it's an 18 speed. No, it's a nine speed. No, it's an eight speed. Uh, no, we're going to, you know, I bought it for 50 bucks. I bet it's stolen. Blah, blah, blah. Like you're the, you're the sober person in that scenario. And you're like, what is going on? The audience is the sober people there. And we're like, what is going on in this scene? It doesn't lead to anything that never bike never comes back, you know? Um, but it's just a five or 10 minute scene about Robert Downey Jr. Buying a bike for 50 bucks. Yeah. Uh, so I would, I would say just based on how you described it and, and maybe we should go over the plot. So the, the plot or the setup, right. Is that the United States has pretty much lost the war on drugs. Mm -hmm. There is a drug called substance D it's a, it's a powerful drug. It causes hallucinations, et cetera. It's very addictive. No one says in this movie, give me that D, which I was a little bit disappointed in. Well, that'd be a different movie, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so apparently the drug use has pretty much swept the country and they say, okay, approximately 20% of the population is hooked on it. Okay. It, how do they know that? How, how do they know that it was 20%? I'm sure they pulled a lot of people. Was like there a census, the census going Bureau. around? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, and, and in response, the government has developed this invasive high-tech surveillance system and a network of undercover officers and informants. And what the movie really is about is one of these undercover agents, played by Keanu Reeves, Bob, is assigned to infiltrate this drug world. And, you know, it's that typical, what you would call like police procedural narcotics where, okay, I got to go in and start with the low man on the totem pole and work their way up to like the big distributor and find yep. out where all these drugs are coming from and see as a government, can we shut it down? Right. Yep. So but their advantage is he gets to wear what they call a scramble suit. Yes. So there, there is a, um, what would you would call like a privacy mechanism for these agents who are working undercover. And so what they do is when they're out there, uh, I guess with their typical, let's say drug dealer, drug user profile, uh, they're, they, they're just walking around their same clothes, et cetera. When they come to work at the police station, they put on a scramble suit, which how, how would you describe this? It's, it's something that they wear and every second it is in constant flux with a different image of a person person. Yeah. But like different part of the face is a different person. A different part of the quadrant of the face is different. This quadrant is different. Yeah. I'm guessing I didn't find this in any of my research, but I'm guessing that is why they went with the rotoscope. Also is that effect in like a, like a, like a computer generator or whatever would have been way too expensive. In well, a rotoscope, yeah, and it, it, and it might not look, uh, yeah. it would look really yeah. odd. I mean, I'm sure it would yeah. look odd no matter how you so, do it, but here's my question. So, you know, we're walking into work one day. Here's, you know, Brad and Bob walking into work. And then Bob's like, hey, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to change. I'll, I'll see you later. And then I never see Bob again that day. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if Bob wears one of those scramble suits because I'm not seeing him around the office anywhere. Well, I think they come in, uh, if I remember correctly, they come oh, in the back door? through a separate entrance. Mm -hmm. And then they put on the suit before they walk into the building because as an undercover uh, narcotics agent, he is not uh, seen by any of the police. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's not with the gin pop or whatever. Yeah. So what happens is he walks around at work in a scramble suit. And then when it's time for him to go out on the street, then he takes the scramble suit off in this um, very private room. 
and then he leaves out of an, uh, an exit where nobody sees, right? So I, I think you said it best. You have to pay attention to who's talking in the scramble suit so you understand who that person is. And then when they go into the real world and they're not at work, then you see them as Keanu Reeves or, you know, whoever. So it can be confusing, but that that's the, that's the plot of it. And to your point, Brad, if anything you heard Brad say about, oh, there's a 10 minute, uh, I don't know, exchange over a bike. There's probably another 10 minute exchange about, um, being towed. And yes, <laughs> I mean, there are these just dialogue sequences that I, I think you said it best. It's like being the sober person in a room where everybody is seeing stuff that you don't see and you're not necessarily understanding, but to them, they're having a very logical conversation that makes sense to them and you're observing yeah. it. Yep. And that's the movie. So if, if that interests you, I would say you, you might want to dip your toes in this one if everything we've talked about so far does not interest you, stay far away from this thing. Is that fair? I would I would 100% agree with that. Yes, yeah. this is this is one that's hard to infiltrate to be perfectly honest with you. you need a scramble suit. It it is and I I would say this that there are some big plot twists that we're going to talk about. And so if you have no interest in seeing this film, hey, just keep listening, right? Uh we're going to spoil this thing. If you are slightly interested in seeing this or anything we've said, you go, you know what? That does sound interesting. Then maybe stop, go watch it and then come back and then see what we think about it. Right. I, I, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, with that statement. I, I would hate to ruin this for someone who was, this is like, Oh, that sounds interesting. So yeah, come back later. And if, this if is hard sci-fi. This is not your star Wars sci-fi. This is hard. This is not even blade runner sci-fi. This is yeah. This is on a whole different level. This is not hey, are 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 robots humans? This is like there's political yeah. commentary. There's uh, I, I mean we'll get into it, but yeah, this yeah. this is uh, this is very heady, dark sci-fi stuff. Okay, that's out of the way. <clears throat> what what are your thoughts, man? Um, so first I got to start off with the way it looks. Um, I appreciate the way this movie looks and how it moves and the characters and I, I appreciate that kind of painted look that it has. Um, the difficulty I have with it is some of these characters are trying to show humor and they're trying to emote uh, that rotoscoping does not lend itself to showing <laughs> uh, characters emotes or be funny or little facial expressions um, because it's all sort of, I don't want to say monotone, but it's very sort of only big gestures kind of come through on it. So I appreciate that. And I think if it did not have this look, I don't know if we remember Scanner Darkly at all. Um, it's the look that makes it unique because I don't know. It, it, again, it's it's hard when I think about it. It's like, would this film, would we talk about this film if it didn't have this look? And I don't know if we do. Um, so you're saying from a story character perspective, I, I don't, I don't think so because people, I know this is like Robert Downey Jr. Kind of up on the upswing before he gets into, to Iron Man. But that was for me, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. And a lot of people go to that as like, Oh, this is the performance with Shane black that puts him back on the map that gets him Tony Stark that gets, you know, then we have his Renaissance. 
this is Keanu Reeves in that point where it's after the Matrix, before John Wick, and you're like, ah, there's some weird ones in there. Constantine, maybe. Uh, Lake House is atrocious, all this stuff. And then Woody Harrelson's always kind of there. Um, he's, you know, always been pretty consistent. Um, so I don't know, man. Like, I think the look of this film is the thing that stands out the most. And if it's not there, it's just another heavy sci-fi film. I mean, the adjustment bureau is, is kind of like that as well. No one talks about that movie. Like no one thinks about that movie at all. And I think this would might get lumped in there. Um, but then the story goes, and again, there's scenes that just have zero consequence on the overall plot of the movie. Um, I do enjoy this movie quite a bit because I think it's saying a lot of stuff and it's probably more poignant in 2022 than it was in 2006. Um, you know, we have the NSA revelations. We have Purdue pharmaceutical. Uh, we have, um, you know, knowing that the CIA trafficked uh, heroin in the early, in the sixties, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, And then there's all this mania and paranoia everywhere. And then now people literally put on scramble suits that are filters on Instagram to hide their true identity and all this stuff. We're doing this stuff now. Um, And and I think that like it, it really speaks to the drug. I mean, this movie is not like it does not call these people out as junkies or anything like they don't depict the drug users in this negative light, like the Roy, the Roy, uh, what's his name in the movie? Not, it's not Rory, but the one guy like, yes, he's got bugs on him and stuff, but they never, he's never like oh, meth mouth. Yeah. Yeah. He's never like uh Freck Freck guy. Freck, yeah. He's Charles never Freck. like, you know, got meth mouth or he doesn't have like track marks, you know, substance is a pill. Um, they're never like depicting these people, you know, in a bad light. Um, yes, they're dealing drugs and all this stuff, but it's never, it's not like dare, right? It's, this isn't like a dare movie. It's not trying to keep people off drugs. Um, it's kind of showing that people turn to drugs for all sorts of reasons. Um, and then there's the whole, like finding your identity and then like Bob having like basically three different people, so he's Fred, he's Bob, and then at the end of the movie, he's Bruce. Yep. And all three of those kind of represent something different. Fred is an undercover cop. Bob is a drug addict. Bruce is like a. Well, I, I think know, you like got a, so Bob is the cop. Oh, Bob is Fred a cop. is the undercover drug addict. Yeah. Bruce is in recovery. He Bruce is in recovery, and then you know you have another character that kind of goes through that as well. We'll we'll talk about that later, but I don't know, man. Like I. I, I like movies that are challenging um, and science fiction is usually where I get most of that. Um, and it's going for some big uh, philosophical swings. And I, I, you know, I identified with a lot of it and I see the, the mistrust in government. I see the surveillance piece of it. I see all this stuff and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is saying a lot of stuff and I think it's doing it well. I think like as much as I appreciate the, Hey, we got pulled over on the side of the road or uh, this bike scene. Like some of that stuff goes on a little too long, 
but overall I, I enjoyed it. And with people in our circles, I would definitely recommend people check this one out because I think it is saying a lot of important things. Um, but it's put over such a, this facade, it's really hard to crack. Like it's really hard to get in there and get into like what it's trying to say because it's almost impenetrable at times because it's like these scenes just don't have any sort of consequence. And you're looking at this rotoscoping thing and you're like, this is just weird, but it's supposed to be a lucid dream. Um, and then an alien shows up. You're like, what is going on with this movie? But I liked it. I liked it a lot to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. I, I can 100% see how somebody will watch this. And I know somebody's watching it right now. And, and I've been getting texts like, are, are you kidding me? This is terrible. And, and I get that. Yeah. I, I, I also think it's, it's one of those films where I would not outright recommend it to everybody. But I also realized that if I had seen this in 2006, I don't think I would have liked it. Uh, or been in a mindset where I would be able to actually, you know, understand it or critique it. And and I think age helps too and experience. Yeah. So especially if you've, if you've kind of touched any of these elements in your own personal life, I, I think you'll have a better understanding for it because there is an authenticity here. And obviously he, you know, Linklater is staying very true to the source material and Philip K. Dick's two years is on display in this story. <laughs> <laughs> and so there is some authenticity there. Um, and, and I think it'll ring true for anybody who uh, might have had any kind of experience, not with, you know, drug use or anything of that nature, but um, has been in situations or have known people who have been through that or have seen it. And, and I think you have a, a great analogy. Have, have you been in a room where you sat down and you go, well, that guy's high. And this girl's like just schnookered, whatever, you know, and you're watching them converse and you're like, that makes <laughs> no sense. But you're almost laughing a little bit because as a bystander, that conversation is kind of funny. Yeah. But it yep. makes no sense to you. Um, so this this movie reminds me of a joke. Uh, so, Brad, what's the difference between a conspiracy theory and the news? I don't know, Troy. What is the difference? About six months. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel when I'm, I'm watching this. So I'm really surprised in 2022, like the, the COVID, the COVID COVID anti-vaccination groups, whatnot, haven't mm -hmm. la latched onto this film or even, even the book, the source material as, as inspiration for their cause. Uh, and I also, cause they're, they're too dumb to understand what this movie's about. True, true. <laughs> And I do think it subtly asked the question, and I, I think Phil K. Dick's book did this as well, but it, it's asking the question like, what's wrong with our country's mental health to a certain mm -hmm. degree? Yep. So when you take a step back and look at the plot of the film, you can't help but think as crazy as the plot is, it kind of makes sense. I mean, that's where good conspiracy theories live, right? Not Ooh. just in the insane stuff, but it has tinges of... Well, let me pause for a second and think about that, right? Yeah, there's a there's a reason why people saying the earth is flat. You're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But, yeah. oh, the government killed JFK. You're like, ah, okay, I could see maybe what's going on there. Yeah. Or, you know. Because the, the things. This the movie, lizard people, maybe not so much. But, you yeah, know, lizard people I, I don't get. But when, when yeah. people are like, wait a second, 
is is COVID one of those things that is a way from a manufacturing standpoint um, for somebody to make a lot of money? And you take a step back and go, well, who who made the most money out of COVID? Oh, the pharmaceutical companies, right? Yeah. And then you think about big pharma in general. And this I had to look up because I'm like, is it just me or every conversation I'm having with somebody? And you're like, well, hey, whatever, Jim, John, Joan. Mary, you know, how are the kids? And the kids are doing great. Um, they had a little bout and then we got them some medicine and that evened out their depression. And I, I hear that a lot, not just with yeah. kids, but with people and everything else. And so there's obviously some kind of chemical imbalance going on. But what struck me as odd is that the the total number of prescriptions filled by Americans, including adults and children, has increased 85% in two decades. That is crazy to me. Yeah. So if you think 1997, there was like 2.4 billion subscriptions. And in 2016, it goes up to 4.4 billion. And the numbers start to make total sense when you take a step back and go, okay, look at all the marketing that happens on a daily basis. And yeah, the United States is actually the only, the only country that's allowed to uh, market pharmaceutical drugs. Yeah. And we see commercials all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then you start self prescribing yourself. Oh, I saw this yeah, commercial. My dick doesn't work. I need Viagra. Not I, me personally, but just people I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> uh, and then you you go to your doctor and you go, well, I saw this commercial. I think I need X, Y, and Z. And then the medical system in and of itself is so strained. Well, yeah. We, then the, the 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 doctor gets a kickback from the pharmaceutical company for writing prescriptions for their medication and not someone else's. You know, that's the whole opium sort of deal going on where absolutely the incentive. Yep. was there. And then, and then you think about it. Okay. Uh, now <laughs> this, this plot of a pharmaceutical company is putting drugs on the street and getting people addicted so that they in turn can grab those people and rehabilitate them at a cost. Right. Mm -hmm. And then through the rehabilitation process, get them to farm and create more of the drugs. So they can put out, So it's just like vicious yeah, cycle. They control the whole, the whole supply chain. Yeah. And you're like, well, Oh my gosh, that, that doesn't sound too far off. It's a crazy conspiracy theory. But at the same time, when you look at our numbers, you go, well, how crazy is that? I mean, it, I don't think that's happening, but man, it is kind of eerie when you look at how much medication and pharmaceuticals are kind of out there. And I'm sure it's needed in a lot of situations. Well, yes. The reason a lot of times what people are doing is like they're taking care. We used to think mental health was a was a bad word. Right. Those were, those were bad words. And now people are like, no, my mental health, you know, helps me be who I am. And if I don't take care of my mental health, I'm in trouble. Um, and so we've, we've come to know that people have anxiety and people have depression and people need to take care of those things because it, you know, they can't function without it. 20 years ago, we were just saying people just need to chill out. And you're like, well, no, you can't tell someone, there's you can't a chemical tell someone who has anxiety just to chill out. It doesn't work that way. But at the same time, it totally makes sense when you take a step back and go, okay, that takes care of a certain percentage of it. Yes. Yeah. But you just brought up the Viagra thing. It's kind of like, um, dude, you know, one of, one of the interesting things I had always read, especially when you take a step back and look at the numbers for COVID, et cetera, immunization and everything obviously have a, a positive effect. But I think what some people are starting to understand is if, if you look at us as a country in terms of obesity and health in general, 
that's what we got to tackle more than just the vaccinations and stuff like vaccinations. One of them is a communal disease. The other point is not. So yes, I get what people are saying, but it's, it's not apples to apples. Yes, we have an obesity problem. It's not apples to apples, but it, it comes down to one of those things where you kind of say immunization is a piece of it. But at the yes. same time, us as a country do, and somebody could level this criticism and go, I, I think from a pharmaceutical standpoint, it is very easy to get addicted to that stuff. And it's very easy to get a hold of that stuff. And it's very easy to administer that as a cure versus take care of some of the bigger things. Yeah, look, in college, I was diagnosed with ADD and I could not study without Adderall. Yeah. And when I finally decided not to take it anymore, it was difficult and like almost impossible. Um, so like you get to the point where you're like, no, I, I can't function without this. And it makes it almost impossible. And you're like, my life would just be easier if I just took this every day. Why am I battling this? Like the withdrawal is always <laughs> yeah. worse than anything. So I, I like I like science fiction that brings that question up and just says, all right, take a step back and look at it. Draw your own conclusions. There's there's things to say on both sides of it, but let's have a discussion about it, right? And then yeah. you look at the other aspects of it, and you kind of nailed some of the big headline ones. But think about the surveillance uh, in general over the last few decades, mm-hmm. and you know, not even stuff like the Patriot Act or you know the the in, the invasion of privacy from the CIA and, and government. But just think about cameras almost on every street corner and how much we're willing to videotape everything and even the government's ability to tap into it. Again, this movie is tackling that topic as well and asking the question, hey, are we better off for that or is there a problem, right? Yep. And the scramble suit, you nailed it. I mean, we've got filters on Instagram that half of the time within any social media you don't know what you're seeing, if it's real or who you're talking to. Yeah. Deep fakes or another thing. Yeah. It's, it's so crazy. So I think the science fiction of this film isn't so much fiction anymore in 2022. And I, I really think good science fiction takes reality and, and bends it or gives us a new variation, adds convincing characters to the plot and gives us a story that has usually some political or social either criticism or statement or questions. Like, I think this one's asking a lot of questions more it than It is statements. asking a lot of questions, yes. Yeah, and I think the movie has more relevance now than even when the original book was published in 77, when you have all of this stuff going on in America, or even what Philip K. Dick was going through. And what I really like is, you know, this movie could have easily been another minority report where they concentrated on the undercover cop aspect of it and the scramble suit and turn it into an action film. Mm-hmm. But link later really stayed true to the source material and concentrated on the characters that are caught up in this conspiracy, this conspiracy that's going on. Yeah. There's really not a whole lot of action in this movie there's at not, all. Yeah. There's not really any, I mean, it, it is more, uh, it, it, I don't know. It feels almost like you're watching a cartoon stage play. Uh, because a lot of sequences are taking place in a room, in the backseat of a car, in a hotel, you know, whatever it is, and you're seeing it play out or in the police building. Yeah, um, the police office for sure. Yeah, so I, I really appreciated that. But yeah, I, I, I really like this type of film because it's asking all those questions and making me take a step back and go, okay, good science fiction is supposed to propose a sort of, I don't know, outlandish plot with all of these elements. 
but it also grounds it in very realistic, likable characters or unlikable characters that you can relate to, uh, but also some commentary about the human condition or commentary about society or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that's why people love Star Trek so much, you know, even probably more so than Star Wars is because Roddenberry was always bringing those topics up in a lot of his stories, right? Uh, and, and to me, Scanner Darkly is just one step greater than that. And it goes into a very dark place, but it's asking a lot of the same questions, but it is coming at it from a very political you know, angle. Here was my thought. I, I, I still like Southland Tales for all of its goofiness, but also what it's trying to say. This mm-hmm. feels like a very uh, pared down version of Southland Tales in that it's trying to tackle science fiction and political commentary in a very unique way, but it's not as outrageous or as, as outlandish as Southland Tales. Yeah, the scope on this one is much more focused, right? I think a Southland Tales' problem with it is it's it's going after so much stuff and so what's to say so much about everything. Yeah. War on terror, this and that. This one is, you know, where our scope is much more laser focused than the kind of that shotgun approach that that Southland Tales goes for. Um, and this is much more serious. Like this is yes. a dark, serious movie. Well, it is a comedy. Um, it is a dark comedy for yes, sure. It is a I dark mean, comedy. Yeah, there, there are times when I laugh. I mean, that bike sequence, I was laughing during that bike sequence. I was like, I've been there a few times where I'm like, I've been in that room where people are talking about some weird ass thing. Hey, wh- you know, this, someone has a theory about why we're really in Iraq and let me tell you about it. And you're, 45 minutes later, you're like, I don't know where we have been or why, but uh, yeah. And so there, there is definitely humor in this movie. I, I think that, I think it's funny. You bring out the 18 speed bike. So the whole sequence is Robert Downey Jr. Picks up an 18 speed bike from a kid for 50 bucks, comes back and shows it to everybody and it and is explaining this. And then Woody Harrelson points out, well, you only have like nine gears. So it's a nine speed. I think he got ripped off and then it comes out and they find something else for eight speed. But originally Woody Harrelson was going to give him like 60 bucks for the 18 speed bike. But because it now only has nine speed, he's not interested in giving like 25 and there's this whole yeah. 10 minute exchange going back and forth. And, you know, should and they, they literally carry the bike out of the room and you never see that bike again? Yeah. And it really caught me off guard because I'm trying to wrap my head around that sequence. And in my head, uh, it, it comes after really the plot setup because you're you're learning about the scramble suits you're learning about the war on drugs you're learning about this whole undercover process is that after his presentation yeah the presentation's okay. kind of yeah. weird you, you start to see <laughs> is it Reeves. bad is it bad like he's given a presentation and then like i see the background and he's got like some powerpoint presentation and there's two graphs on there and i'm like no one in their right mind could see those in the presentation, that's a terrible way to display those graphs. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I know how to do that. Don't you don't do two graphs on one slide. A is bad. Yeah. Um, and B, they're too small. People can't see what they're trying to to denote. And I was yeah, like, nobody yeah. was picking up the statistics there. No, but, yeah. but you get to Come that on. total setup and then you get to the 18 speed bike sequence and you're like, what is going on? And this film constantly does that. It will give you some very. Yeah, not, not to not to mention like the beginning where the guy's five to 10 minutes with bugs on him. Yeah. And he, he meets Robert Downey jr. In the diner and yeah. they're talking about how to, I don't know, level off their use of the drug. And this whole sequence of seeing bugs is just part of the natural progression yeah. until you get to this state. 
and then you'll feel much better. But at the whole time, the waitress comes along and he's envisioning her naked, naked as yep. she's talking about like the uh, fruit pie specials. Is that a cherry pie reference? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. It's, yeah. but I mean, that's, that's the film. It goes from a very dark scene that might forward the plot, present the conspiracy theory, highlight something from a social perspective and, and, and grind it to a complete stop. And then you get into, well, we're, we're in a tow truck and he's, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is trying to explain that, well, um, I set up this whole elaborate, um, what would you call it? Like all these traps and, and video cameras mm-hmm. and everything else. And yep. they're debating, well, how do you, how do you know you're going to get somebody? Oh, well, it's because I left the front door unlocked and locked <laughs> everything else up. And they're like, well, how does somebody know to use the front door? Oh, I put a note on there <laughs> to let them know that the front door is unlocked. So they only come through that way so that we can get them. And this, this goes on for 10 or 15 minutes and it's kind of funny, but you have to, I think early on grasp what's going on. It, it is a dark comedy and the funny elements are being presented in such a way that it counterbalances, I think, some of the darker social commentary and even the plot. Now, you said you don't think it serves a purpose, th- those elements. Well, okay, tell me what, what, what is the purpose of those scenes? Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Here, here's, here's, here's a theory. Okay. No, I mean, it's just like, it's what happens when you get on drugs. It's what happens when people get in rooms and they're on drugs. I, maybe, I, I think the intent of it is this, that you think about the, well, chemi- cause we were told by, we were told by Nancy Reagan that people who are on drugs are murderers. They're rapists. They'll steal your, you know, steal stuff. They'll do, they're the worst people in the world. Right. These people just take substance D, sit around and talk about a bike he bought for 50 bucks. Yes. I, and I think that's kind of the point. Yeah. I, I think it comes down to this. So if you're involved in the story, you have to be involved in the characters. Mommy, I think those guys are on drugs, mommy. <laughs> no, sorry, that's a bad Ronald Reagan. Oh my God. Mommy. That was terrible. Yep. Um, so if, if you are going to enjoy this film or, or you're going to latch on to it, from even an emotional standpoint, you have to like the characters, I think, mm-hmm. to a certain degree. You you have to see the the human aspect of it. So I think the chemistry between Reeves, um, Downey, and Harrelson is fantastic. Like that whole sequence when they're working on the car and uh, Woody Harrelson has a rock and Robert Downey Jr. has a, a, hammer, a hammer and they're yeah. threatening each other. I mean, it's kind of funny. And you know nothing's going to happen, right? But it it comes down to you kind of like hanging out with these guys because you don't know what's going to happen. And there's a certain charm there when they're together. But it's a really dangerous charm. And that probably even makes it more exciting. Like when he's trying to come up with his homemade silencer on a pistol. (laughs) And again, you're like, what in the heck are they doing? I think that human element makes you, it it raises the stakes for what's going to happen at the end of the film. Yeah. And, and, in that rock hammer situation got me thinking like, and, and I don't know if the movie is saying this and this could just be, be projecting, but if those two guys were drinking, they definitely would have fought, but they're on drugs and it definitely just stopped at that moment. And it didn't go any further because they're doing drugs. And at some point in time, you're like, ah, I'm too high for this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight you, but if those guys were drunk and they, you know, they would get aggressive and they would fight. And I, I don't know if the movie is saying something about that where the violence kind of stops 
I don't know if it, I don't know if it's saying that. I, I think I don't think the intent is to kind of go, hey, look, drugs are much less dangerous than alcoholism or something of that nature. I, I think it kind of comes down to here are two people who get frustrated. They act like everybody else. There is this charm to it. Again, it's a bit of a dangerous charm. I, I really think it kind of comes down to you get to see the good aspects and the bad aspects of everybody because they're human. Uh, and, and I think it kind of, it, it really has to do with how the movie ends because they take a section out of um, Phil K. Dick's book and it's sort of an in memoriam. And it's basically saying, well, here are all the people who died or here are all the people who've, you know, are hospitalized, et cetera, as a result of their choice to use drugs. Mm-hmm. That choice doesn't make them a bad person. It might make them a weak person because at that moment in their life, they went down a path that they didn't have the right support group or something of that nature to help them, but it doesn't make them a bad person. Yeah. So here lies my problem with the movie. Okay. And it comes with that. So the end of the movie, Philip K. Dick, it literally takes a passage out of his book, names all these people who have been affected by the use of drugs. Bob in this movie is never in control of his drug use. He's manipulated into taking substance D right. from Donna. And to me, that underlines a lot of undermines a lot of this movie because his free will was never to, he is, he is not choosing to do drugs. It is kind of, he's being sort of manipulated into doing it so he can infiltrate a new path, therefore infiltrate the drug maker and to me, that is the only thing that bothers me about this movie. And, and it doesn't come until like the end when you kind of know the twist and all this. And, and, and Donna is Audrey is Hank. And you're like, wait a minute. She was in control. And Bob, what, Bob was never in control. And so, therefore, this whole sequence at the end, to me, is a little bit shallow because your main character of this movie was never in control. Yeah, I I can see where that rings a little false. I I think it kind of comes down to if you're at at no point in time do I think Philip K. Dick was ever writing something that was going to be preachy about drugs. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, he wanted to write a story about that's not that's not his MO being preachy and being heavy handed is not his MO. Right. So he, he does, you know, and I think the way the story goes, he wanted to write about you know, these two years that he had and even going to the rehabilitation there, there are um, shorts and letters and everything else that you can, you can get of his time period. Like you can find his writings of that. And I think it's in a collected edition, but he's, he basically says, okay, in order to get the story out, I have to put a science fiction element onto it. So the science fiction element in the story and the conspiracy and everything else serves a purpose to ask those questions about drug use, about conspiracy so I think if you take a step back and go, okay, there's, there's two main questions he's asking. One is about addiction, right? The second mm-hmm. one is this whole conspiracy theory about the government. And are we at any point in control or is the government or the man always controlling us? Right? Mm-hmm. So he's, he's asking those questions in the context of this story. But after he wraps the story out, I think he comes back to it and says, regardless of what you think about the government or regardless of what you think about um, the pharmaceutical companies or drugs or anything else or the, or the rehabilitation, 
um, or just how much money we make on that crap, right? We make a ton of money off of helping people when you take a step back and go, why aren't we just helping people? I mean, so I think he's asking those questions. He says, regardless of what you think, remember these people as people. So I, that's what I got out of it. It was, yeah. I understand on the surface, it looks like a contradictory statement in terms of Bob's as the main character is never in control. I think that serves the purpose of the plot and the element. And Philip K. Dick, I think, is really good about saying, I'm going to present you with the science fiction story. I'm going to ask all these questions. And when it's all done, you can think one way or another. You can think, I'm crazy. And I think Linklater picks up on this. You mm -hmm. can think whatever you want. But I think the reason why Linklater has the 18-speed um, bike sequence, the, the rock and the hammer sequence, the tow truck sequence, all these sequences, is at the end of the day these are human beings that have the good and the bad traits and they might have weak moments. Uh, but remember that aspect about these people more than all of the conspiracies. Okay. No, that's fair. I just, that one, the end of the movie, like if I would have cut it off right at the end where it kind of, uh, Keanu Reeves is just walking in that field and it, you know, fades to black or whatever and stopped it right there. I would have, I would appreciated the movie much more. I just thought that little part there undermined his whole movie. And I get why it does it. You're right. But it's still to me, it was like, ah, yeah. Come see, on, I, th man. I, th I think that ending hits home. Like, oh, it does. I, I, th I think it adds to the film. I, I, I really yeah. like the fact that they bring it through because at the end of the day, I, I think if Linklater or Phil K. Dick is trying to say anything, it's just that you've got all of this crap going on out there and we can't make heads or tails of it. We don't know if it's yeah. one big conspiracy or if it's shit. Maybe all the pharmaceuticals and the drug rehabs are actually run by Walt Disney and he never died. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, we're going to be working for Amazon, Walmart or Disney. I think or Google. Yeah. Or Google. Google. Yeah. yeah. One of those. Sure. Right. So yeah. that's it. Um, and that could all be true, but take away all of that crap. And at the end of the day, you have people and you have people who made bad choices and forget about why they made the bad choices or forget about what choice that they made. They're still people. They died or, you know, they're, they will never live a normal life again because yeah. of the after effects of it. So remember that aspect of it more so than getting caught up into the, well, who caused it and the conspiracy and everything else. I, yeah. I think that's the message. Well, yeah. And, and, and on my second viewing, you know, I, I picked up on like the doctors, they were talking about, you know, getting his girlfriend flowers and they would say, you know, she likes these little blue flowers. Yes. Of course, the little blue flowers come at the end. And then uh, Donna's talking about how she wants to get away. Wants to go to and, the farm. You know, and with the, where there's mountains. And of yes. course at the very end, you know, it's like all this stuff. And I love shit like that. Like if you oh, I do too. drop that stuff where the second time I watch a movie um, and I'm picking up on this stuff and you're like, Oh, it was right there the whole time. Like, that's the thing that I like. I like to be able to come back to a movie and it's better the second time I watch it than it is the first. And this one is definitely like that. Cause I watched this one and a half times. Cause I, when, Donna takes off the thing and she's Hank. I was, or Hank is Donna. I was like, wait a minute. I was confused. And I was like, I have to go back. I have to go back and, and kind of watch this again to make sure I'm connecting all the dots. And then when I got there, I was like, Oh wow. Like that's, that's pretty cool. And then what it means going forward, like, you know, she like 
why she doesn't want to sleep with him. Because, why she doesn't like, want to be touched or yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all this stuff. But then I was like, why are they talking about this secret operation about sending a guy to New Path in like a McDonald's uh, restaurant lobby? I was like, that's weird, but you know, whatever. Um, yeah, and I, I love no, there's man. an as- I, I love there's an aspect of the film where he is supposed to. Uh, there, there's a whole surveillance of his house, right? And Keanu Reeves has to sit down in his scramble suit watching it, and he has to pick points in time where he edits himself out so that they don't and keep, you know, he has to make a choice of when to keep himself in, when to edit himself out. And at the end of the day, when his brain starts to compete, like the left side and right side are competing against each other, he doesn't know who he is. Yeah. At, at certain elements. And so he's having a hard time doing surveillance on himself when he doesn't even know who he is. Well, at that point in time, you don't know if that's real or fake anyway, because yeah. like he talks about this whole family thing and you're like, was his family ever real or is he just, you know, there's those, those things like, or was he borrowing what's it from not? somebody else? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and on, you know, when you're on drugs and stuff, sometimes you're like, I don't know what's real and what's not like, I, I, I have no idea. And I love that sequence when he's watching surveillance and Woody Harrelson's uh, character is choking and it's supposed to be a taped sequence or is it supposed to be live and he's thinking about calling, but then he doesn't call because I don't think he knows if it's really happening or if he's watching a taped version of it. Yep. 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 I have to say, man, I know we've, I've kind of ragged on the rotoscoping, not being able to pick up on performance, but Holy crap. Robert Downey Jr. is amazing in this movie. He's, I think I think all three so of them are good. good, but he's really good in this. He yeah. is so good in this movie. Like his riffing and dialogue and just his the like the cadence he has when he's saying that stuff, it is really, really good. Like that diner scene, it, you know, the dialogue's nothing special, but it's like his delivery and stuff is so good. It is so good. Um, yeah, man. Like I saw this and I was like, you know what? I, I love Robert Downey Jr. Got to be Tony Stark. I love it, but I'm a little bit sad that we didn't get him being able to do more pieces like this. Um, Cause he'll never do a movie where he's not getting paid $20 million. Yeah. Or, or when he is like, was it Dr. Doolittle or yeah, Doolittle? It's Doolittle it's and it's terrible. an absolute yeah. train wreck. So I, I miss this. I miss the kiss, kiss, bang, bang. I miss the I, standard Arkley. I'm uh, with Robert Downey Jr. I miss the pre-Iron Man Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Big time. And, and look, I think he's perfect as Iron Man, but we will never get performances like this again from him. I agree. Because he's just going to play Tony Stark over and over again. It's the Ryan Reynolds I'm going to play t- Deadpool for every movie that I'm ever in. We're going to get Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark because that's what people want to see him. I think what's interesting is you go back and you watch there. If you, if you can find the Blu-ray, there's some great behind the scenes footage. Mm-hmm. There's a great commentary on it, but how each actor sort of tackled it. So the difference between like Robert Downey Jr. Versus Keanu Reeves, Robert Downey Jr.'s memorizing all his lines and writing them all down over and over and sort of becoming the character. Whereas Keanu Reeves has the original Philip K. Dick novel and he's going to the novel and saying, okay, in this scene, it's this part of the book. And he's asking questions about the book. And he's really trying to do a deep dive, uh, just live that book and, and bring mm-hmm. the book to the screen where Robert Downey Jr. is trying to get the lines to come to the, to the screen, right? And that comes through in the performance. I think as good as Robert Downey Jr. is at his portion, I think Keanu Reeves is really good as sort of this haunted uh, individual who 
can't make distinctions between what's real and then what's, uh, you know, just an hallucination. And then to see his life just slowly crumble in front of him and become Bruce. He's yeah. really good at that. I think Winona yeah. Ryder's good in this. Woody Harrelson. No, everyone, everyone is really, really good in this. And like at the very end where um, he starts like repeating yes. what the guys are saying, I was like, oh my gosh, like this guy is completely broken. And he has no idea who he is. Uh, he's basically an automaton at this point in time. It is, it's pretty profound. Like it, 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 you know, and like I was mentioning, like, there's those mountains. And then you come to the realization that like, again, he's not in control. He was never in control. And like, he's at this place he was used. They burned him out on substance D to get him in a new path, to get him to this situation. Now, literally, so he could steal a flower, bring it back and say, you know, Hey, Mr. Judge, this is my evidence that, you know, these people are actually the ones manufacturing substance D. But, but he doesn't even know he's doing that. He's going to give it to no. his friend and yeah. the friend is using him. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's dark and it, it is depressing, uh, but it, it's good science fiction. It's really good science it's, fiction. It's perfect science fiction. It does yeah. what science fiction is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you think and make you, I don't know, man, I love science, but heavy science fiction that is like challenging yes. and really kind of comes at you like in just no holds barred sort of deal. That's what I love. And that's why I love this movie. Well, I would say I'm still a little bit iffy on the whole not in control sort of deal. But other than that, I think it's a film that if you like science fiction and you like being challenged, this is a perfect movie for you. I, I agree. I am was really surprised to sit down and watch it. I'm glad I didn't watch it when I originally got it or watched it in 2006. I, I don't think even think as a viewer I would have been ready for it. And and even mm -hmm. personally, I've I've come into contact with friends and family who have had problems with addiction. And having that aspect of it of um it affecting me personally, watching aspects of this film, it kind of hits home and I understand where it's coming from a little bit. So and hey, look, if somebody were to come back and go, this movie's absolute garbage, trash, I'd be like, okay, you're you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. It's it's not for you. It's not the type of storytelling that you're gonna be accustomed to. But you know, it is a link later film because I, now I haven't seen all three of them, but when I think about before sunrise, that's the first one, right? Uh -huh. That is all dialogue, and it's really asking a bunch of questions. Uh, and you're watching this relationship kind of build between two people, and I found that movie pretty fascinating. If you like that film, you'll like this film. I mean, it's very much a Richard Linklater mm -hmm. film, and I know why he was attracted to this. So it makes total sense, but it is very much a Philip K. Dick film too. I mean, when you have an alien with all these eyeballs reading off your sins as you're sins. trying to kill yourself. I mean, that's, that's classic Philip K. Dick at some point. Yep. yep. I, you able to walk down to your local little, little liquor store and get a 2001 bottle of Merlot in, cause this movie technically takes place in 2013. Yeah. Cause it was six years from now in 2006. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if my local uh, corner liquor stores is keeping twelve-year-old bottles of wine, but you know, whatever. I could be wrong. Ours is, but oh, I live in fancy. the city, so yeah, you're you're yeah. in the country. <laughs> yeah. So, well, what else? What other notes did you have on this one? Um, 
I, I talked about the PowerPoint thing mm-hmm. and I was very disappointed with his. Then that PowerPoint sucks. Skills. Like you, it, when, when something like that pops up and you're like, no, no, I would never nope. put a presentation like that together. No, that's terrible. That's terrible, terrible presentation. Etiquette. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, that's all I got. That's all I, that's all I have. Um, I can talk about that bike scene again. Cause I think it's brilliant to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> it's, uh, that, that, I think that's the scene. Like if you give this thing a chance and you get to that 18 speed bike sequence, if you're not hooked at that point, turn it off. Yeah. You're, you're done. You're done. That's yeah. the point where I was like, okay, I'm in, I'm in on this movie. I, I same totally way. I'm like, I have movie. no yeah. idea what's going on here. I'm all in. Yeah. Uh, cause it is not a traditional science fiction film, but when you get to that sequence and if, if you like it, you're really going to like this film. I did notice that Keanu Reeves takes the radiator off of his, uh, car that's overheated with his bare hands. I'm like, mm, I don't know if you're going to do that, bro, but you know, whatever. Yeah, he, there's a few, there's a few things. Neo, he can do everything. Maybe, maybe he was super high. He didn't feel the pain. I don't know. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, well, Brad, uh, this, I guess listener recommendation, a scanner darkly from 2000. See, I didn't know how this was going to go with you. I, I thought, man, is he going to tear this one up like he did with Southland Tales? Or is this narrow enough in scope? And is it heady enough that Brad's going to take to it? I, I'm glad you did. Um, and I, I think this is a thousand times better than Southland Tales. Thank so, you. Okay. Yes. yes thank you. Uh, but 2006, a scanner darkly. Is, is it a bomb? It is not a bomb for me, sir. I agree. I I think it's a very topical film in 2022. I'm I'm wondering like how many science fiction films fall into this category where at the time it was out, you're like, well, that that's got science fiction elements to it. But now you look at it and you go, well, holy cow, this is, uh, you know, replace the um, scrambler suits with Instagram and you pretty much got a movie yeah. that takes place today. Yeah, I that stuff on Instagram where you're like, I don't know if this person looks like that or not is concerning to me but yeah, it's that's why I, i'm like you know what instagram you know what i'm too old for this stuff i just need to stop uh, i agree here's my letterbox that i watched a movie here's a cool picture of it <laughs> <laughs> well hey we got some emails you want to run through those i do which one do you want to take first uh i'll take the one from kevin he gave us some feedback about true romance uh, okay so this is from kevin yeah and thanks for everyone for for listening to that one uh that was a very popular episode for us josh was awesome oh he's awesome got he's- to talk about qt um and so if you liked that episode please go listen to the vhs files josh and then do a wonderful job there um check them out please yeah and they're tackling some classic films like you know, alien Texas chainsaw massacre. And, and I would urge you to go back and start from the beginning because you know, there's stuff like, um, Goonies and monster uh, squad, monster squad. I mean, they, they've, they've got a really good set of films that, uh, I've always said this about the VHS files. It's like walking through your video store with your buddies, just talking about movies as you're trying to pick them out. So, uh, it's a lot of fun. So Kevin wrote in and said, when I was rewatching the movie and he's talking about true romance, all I could think was Jesus Christ. That's Gary. That's Gary Oldman. A few minutes would pass, and again, I think, "Holy shit, it's Gary Oldman." My name's Gary Oldman. <laughs> yeah. Yes. What a performance! It illustrates how Christian Slater is good, but is usually Christian Slater in each role, and how other actors overshadowed the main stars' performances. Yeah. So I, I agree with that. I mean, Christian Slater I mean, is good. To be fair, to be fair, Gary Oldman is probably a top five living actor. I mean, he's 
fucking unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, and not to rehash. I mean, you got Christian Slater with Dennis Hopper, Christian, you know, yeah. Christopher Walken. You, For Walken, yeah. I mean, come on. It, it's, yep. it's uh, not fair. It's not fair. But he's still, him and Patricia Arquette are, are still good in it. They're just not Gary Oldman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Few people are, to that's be true. honest with that's you. That's true. Um, I will uh, take the next one from Leroy. Okay. <laughs> hey, can you guys do an episode on the failed Carrot Top vehicle, chairman of the board? Honestly, I just want to hear you guys rag on it because, well, it's a Carrot Top movie. We're going to do that movie. Trust me. I bought it's, it. It's Yes. I went ahead and bought, bought the it. two-pack DVD. Yes. What was the other one? Uh, villains or something. I don't something. know. It's about comic book villains or something. Yeah. Comic book store yeah. owners. And I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. watch them both when I have to watch that. But yeah, no, it's funny. Cause that, that, that movie, is it trending somewhere? Cause it's come up a bunch. It's come up a bunch. Yeah. Well, the, the Norm McDonald joke when Norm died, that joke circulated again and everyone got to start thinking about chairman of the board B O R E D yeah. board. Um, so yeah, so I think that's what it's coming from, and people realize, holy shit, Carrot Top was in a movie. Um, yeah. I can't wait to so, watch it, honestly. No, I know, and I'm going to be out there in May. I'm like, maybe we watch that together in May. So, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm all for it. Okay, so Mark wrote in, uh, said, "Hey, great podcast. Uh, just wanted to say you have a new listener here. I love the podcast, and I'm trying my best to work my way through the back catalog." I guess I need to make a suggestion. So my suggestion is 1964's The Fall of the Roman Empire. Have you ever seen that? Yes, I have. It's like, that's uh, Alec Guinness is in that. Uh, Sophia Loren. Ooh. Stephen Boyd. Uh, who else is in that? Oh, Christian Plummer is in that as well. It's Chris, Christopher Plummer? Christopher Plummer, yeah. Okay. Oh, Chris, yeah. Sorry, okay. I should have said his full name. Christopher. Um, 1964. Four, I believe. Yeah, 1964. All right, so okay. let's add that to the list. I'm, I'm definitely here. I've never seen it. Now oh, you've yeah. listed all those people. I'm in. Yeah. Uh, he says, finally, my question is, what episode of the podcast sticks out the most? Be it a joke, movie, or the guest, but the one you remember the most? Huh. I gotta say, introducing you to Solar Babies was probably one of my favorite things in my entire life. really (laughs) yeah i don't know why i went back and listened to that one the other day and i i laughed the entire time because like Troy had to watch solar babies and that's awesome yeah so that's one of my favorites uh highlander is another one that are are the people who listen to the show really like um not for my on point christopher lambert impression but because it was just fun to talk about um chopping mall is another one that stands out that one was fun Cause that movie's insane. Uh, Miami connection stands out too. Cause I can dragon sound. Um, yeah, I think those are, those are kind of the ones I, I remember the most to be honest with you. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, so a moment that sticks out that still makes me laugh is when you compared your wife to a used car. Oh yeah. 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 I forget <laughs> and then what you had to double back was. on that. Was that the Remo Williams one? Or? I think so. I think it was, it was very early on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I loved talking uh, streets of fire and meatloaf with Brett. Oh that, yeah. That, that was a yeah. lot. I, I really love that film. And I was uh, happy to talk with somebody else outside of my son and I talk about that film. Oh crap. I'm dropping stuff. 
My son and I, wow. I know. <laughs> How much stuff is in your pockets? A lot. Uh, my son and I talk about Streets of Fire all the time because um, we love that film. So it was it was cool to have a conversation outside of that. Uh, my, I'll tell you the episode that shocked me the most because A, I would never watch this film, not in a million years, unless we were doing a podcast. Showgirls. Yes, Showgirls. And and mm-hmm. B, I was surprised how much I got out of that episode. It it really shocked me. Mm-hmm. It, it yep. really did. I, I would agree with that 100%. If you would have told me you're going to like Showgirls, I would have said, you're insane. But I think Showgirls is actually a good movie. It It's misunderstood, uh, but it's a good movie. It's so misunderstood. And then, I don't know, my, my favorite episode still might be Big Trouble in Little China. I mean, I, it's one of my top yeah films all time it's a perfect film so it was yes it was nice to just talk about that film and gush over it but uh you know i i liked i liked talking grease too as well just because tabitha came on and and i think i got to share one of the outtakes where i told her to shut up and i don't get to say that very often (laughs) boy i'm surprised you're still alive i know no that was fun she it's nice to uh let people into the i guess you know, the behind the scenes Tabitha and I have such a, and you've seen this for years. We, yeah. we have a very fun relationship where we will make fun of each other. And, and, uh, she has my sense of humor and, you know, my whole family does. So I'm, I'm always excited when we get angel Cameron or, or Tabitha on the show and they love you. So it's, uh, it's, I don't know. It's, just, it's cool to share that aspect of, um, the chemistry and, and the people, you know, that, uh, you're around the most. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I want to get Max Your kids on. Are, I know, man. I, <laughs> maybe when we do, uh, when they bring back Lightning McQueen for the fourth movie or something like that, we'll we'll have Max on. But he would talk about Cars too. He loves Cars too, and that movie is atrocious. It's a huge bomb. Like, but I thought like it made worst, like a, a ton of money. It's like the worst uh, reviewed Pixar movie. So, oh, really, I mean, that's saying something. Okay, uh, well, yeah. you give us a different take on it. Oh yeah, he would love it. He would cool. love it. Well, I know we said it at the beginning, maybe we just go ahead and say it one more time, like how people get a hold of us. And and please, if you're listening on any of the podcast platforms, do us a favor and leave a review. So I don't know if you can go to iTunes, if you listen there, maybe uh, give us a little shout out, tell us what you like. Um, I, Podchaser, I think is another one, but I would yeah. say anywhere that you are getting your uh, podcast Spotify has reviews now. So to go on Spotify and do that for us. Yeah. Perfect. Just tell us what you think, share the love. Yeah. We'd love um, to kind of just hear your thoughts on, on what we're doing right or wrong. And uh, if you want to send us a recommendation, because this week was a recommendation from a listener and we yep. got another cool one, the fall of the Roman empire that we're going to add. I, I would love to do that one this year, like maybe even the summer. So yeah, I think that's a good summer movie. Um, yeah. That's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. Also go to not a podcast.com hit the contact us button, and then you can leave a suggestion there again. Our 100th episode is coming up in like eight weeks. So if you want to go ahead and start getting in your comments for that one, that'd be awesome. Troy and I are, can't believe that we're getting to a hundred. Um, we're still going to keep going. Troy and I, I, uh, I sent some messages to some people. So behind the scenes, Troy and I have a group of people that we always want to have on and that list is always growing. And so we always kind of, playing way ahead to ensure that we can get people on who want to come on and uh, you know, but we want to keep some for just you and I, but yeah. you know, for the most part, we want to have people on our, on our podcast. Cause it's, it's fun that way. Um, 
And I sent the list to Charlie and he was like, I can't believe you guys have it planned out through September. It's like, well, you know, Troy and I plan on things. So we li- Troy and I literally have every movie we're doing planned out till September. I mean, we can change things, but well, like, we you know- have your picks through September. Mine are only through June. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm going wanna- to add the fall of the Roman empire somewhere. <laughs> okay. Okay. But yeah, we, you know, so, so we're having Charlie back at some point in time. We're having Brett back at some point in time. Uh, we'll have more people on again. Yeah, we'll have new, um, we'll have new guests. I, I know one of the things that has uh, we're big on just talking about and promoting the podcast that we listen to or that we talk to. So mm-hmm. like VHS Files podcast or Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with uh, Sammy and Will. Um, we've had a couple of promos sent our way. And we're going to probably talk about how we insert those in some fashion. So we're not going to become a show which is promo after promo. Uh, but I, man, there's some good shows out there, and there's some good people that are putting some good content. And yeah. we we like the promos that they're giving us, and so we're going to find a way to kind of insert them here and there. So you know, look for that. But you know, anything that uh, we put out there for another show or guest, like the Backlook Cinema Podcast. Go check them out. Give a couple of episodes a listen. You know, you don't have to listen to every episode they publish, but go and find the films or the content that they're talking about and uh, interact with them. I mean, the whole idea yeah. of a podcast is just interact. Yep. Yeah. And and what what I've started doing with the shows is I put in timestamps. So if you don't want to listen to a promo for another show, we have the timestamp in there when we get back to the normal show. So, you know, skip ahead to when it gets there and, you know, keep moving on. It's it's, it'll be just fine. I promise. Awesome. Um, Troy. Yes. Do you want to know what we're watching next week? I do. Cause I ha- I totally forgot what we were watching. Oh boy. Oh boy. So we talked about mortal Kombat. <gasps> is, is this the week? This is the week that we are going to be talking about 1994's Stephen E. D'Souza's street fighter. Oh my God. I'm so excited. And I get to talk about street fighter. I get to talk about the fact that I used to play, Street Fighter 2 and make money playing Street Fighter 2. I was like kind of professional at playing Street Fighter 2. Okay. Yeah. As cool as that sounds, that's not as cool. Jean-Claude Van Damme is Colonel Gal. We're going to talk about Jean-Claude Van Damme. I'm going to, this whole week is Van Damme week. I'm watching as many Jean-Claude Van Damme movies as I can because Brad. It's goddamn Van Damme week. (laughs) We have to talk about not just Street Fighter, but our favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. We've already, yes, Sammy, you and I had a exhaustive <laughs> text chain about like a three day uh, debate. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that will, that will continue to come on. Yes. So yes. So street fighter. Oh, I'm so movie. excited. I am so excited. I also have street fighter, the PlayStation one video game in the long box that I will play again this week. Um, they kind of created street fighter, the movie kind of like mortal Kombat, where they, like recorded real people doing it. Yeah. Street fighter is not known for that, but they did it for the movie game and it's not good. Are, are you going to watch the street fighter animated movie? That yeah, was pretty violent, right? animated movie. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, I will give you an exhaustive history of street fighter characters. Here's a little tidbit, Troy. Yeah. M bison is the bad guy of this movie, right? But he was originally Balrog's name because M bison was a play on Mike Tyson. Oh. They couldn't do that. Yeah. So, yeah. So there you go. 
That's wow. about the knowledge I have. You're going to be dropping Street Fighter. Street Fighter knowledge like crazy oh, next week. Boy, let me tell you. The Street Fighter chronological order of games is insane. It is like Fast and the Furious level shit that goes on. So you're going to list them all, right? Oh, yeah. So like Street Fighter 3, Second Impact, Street Fighter 3, Third Strike. Those happen like after games of like street fighter four it's it's crazy my there's god clones, we are gonna nerd out of... like crazy yep. and i'm not gonna know anything you're talking about until yep. we get to the jean-claude van damme talk because that guy kicks people in the face like nobody else and i'm so excited to yeah and this we can is... talk about raul julia i believe this is his last movie i think he died he died after the, right yep. after this movie yep um yeah and kylie street minogue fighter. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. I just got the new so Street Fighter just released like in a steel book, like a really nice edition. I just got that a little while ago. It's still ago. a Blu-ray though, right? Yeah, it's still a Blu-ray, but oh okay. I'm sorry. You know. Well, no, I mean if you're gonna do go through all that uh packaging stuff, give me like a nice 4K and Dolby Atmos. I mean, if if a movie deserves Dolby Atmos, it's Street Fighter. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, because you got those new speakers and you wanna oh. I heard those speakers from my house, by the way, those things. <laughs> Golden ear, man. Triton fives. Love them. Love them. I I'm just, I'm so excited on, uh, watching any film now because I got this full soundstage. I mean, I love my golden ear Aeon three. Okay. I'm going to stop because now I'm nerding out over audio crap. Uh, listen, I don't know if you are, you know, I just noticed this the other day. (laughs) I always say the same thing when I'm like, Hey, listen, I don't know if you're blah, 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 listening to us. And I say listening way too many times. Uh-huh. I got to come up with something it's a redundant, different. but that's okay. It's super redundant. I don't think anyone notices, but you, but that's okay. But it bothers me every time I got to edit, edit this damn thing that I'm like, did I just say, listen twice in like the same sentence? It's stupid. You say, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon or the evening, but I always start with, listen, I don't know if oh. you're listening. <laughs> yeah, See, that's okay. the gotcha. stupid part. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just pause. I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or the evening. I hope you're having an awesome day. Come back next week when we talk about a ton of face kicking with Jean-Claude Van Damme and hear Brad just lose his mind going over every Street Fighter game. It's going to be awesome. I guarantee you're going to love next week's show. We'll catch you then. Hadouken. <laughs>